A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hola, socios. Hola, equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Nurnberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I am a socio of The Big Interview. Hi, my name's Neil. I'm a socio of The Big Interview from Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. My favourite episode of the last season was the one with Sir Les Ferdinand. I never realised that he'd actually played in Turkey at the start of his career. Every time I listen to an episode, I always learn something new. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Hello, I'm Neil White, and this is the big interview at the World Cup. In Krasnodar, Russia, we have Graham Hunter. Graham, first of all, thanks for sending the last podcast in at I think 4am local time after your late night flight back from Sochi and Portugal 3 Spain 3. You fly with the Spain team on those trips. What was the mood like on the way back from that one? Yeah, in in many ways it was it was surprisingly good. I, I didn't for a second after the way that they played think that there would be, you know, uh, long faces or silence. But they're you know, a really brutally competitive bunch because you already know, all the socios know, talent's not enough. Um, and therefore, I thought there'd be a great deal more frustration uh, given the fact that they'd lost that um, late goal to Cristiano Ronaldo. It was so avoidable, uh, given that it was probably a tackle that Gerard Piquet would admit he didn't have to make. And therefore, um, and, and what's more than that, it, I, I can't remember... What I communicated at four in the morning the other morning, but it it, it's, it needs repeating that um, Sochi was extremely uh, humid. Uh, the stadium, which is a joy to be around, is right on the sea. The temperature was high, and therefore anybody who's been in that situation will know that it's ultra humid. And because um, Spain kept the ball really quite well, I think we'd all admit that whether it was, you know, the golden days of Xavi and Xavi Alonso, nonetheless, they made Portugal work, but they still put in a huge shift themselves. And that meant, without any question whatsoever, that they were drained at the end. And the two players who were picked for anti-doping, which is just a regular thing, um, found it hard to produce, um, being as dehydrated as they were. So there was a long, long wait. uh, And the idea of... Uh, being a home, Krasnodar being home, um, but I think I think the idea was that they were to be home by about quarter to one, one in the morning. Well, you know that that went away completely, and uh, the plane taking them home. You, you, it's just little strange things. The the plane taking them home was delayed on takeoff at Sochi, um, probably because they'd broken schedule by not getting to out of the stadium to the airport in time. And that meant that there was, you know, a little bit of a weight on the tarmac. 
And that was because of the amount of traffic. And you'd have thought at that time in the morning it, it couldn't be so. And then on arrival at Krasnodar, um, at whatever time in the morning, three in the morning, it was really, really busy. You know, the, the airport was absolutely jumping, and it's not a, it's not a big place. So uh, that whole delay idea just bounced off them like water off a duck's back. And on the plane, the the mood was there was a lot of smiles. Um, there was a lot of players uh, chitter chattering amongst themselves, um, playing sort of shared games, whether it was cards or um, some of them play a, a game I can only compare to sort of. I'm sure there was a childhood game that I saw called Ludo, and it looks something like that, but on a very large style iPad. And um, there was, I'm certain that I did report last time at four in the morning, that because Dr. Cotto uh, had his birthday, uh, there was a rousing um, round of cumpleaños fillies, which all the players joined in and then applauded him. He was really touched, and he was reminding me that um, the the sort of last World Cup that um, no that, that can't be right the last World Cup but he, he said look the last time yeah the last time that it was a match day on this date was against Switzerland and he said that was a horrible way to celebrate my birthday and as you would all imagine I made the joke about oh so it's the same date every year and he says it's often the case for a birthday so that may not have been dazzling humour but we were smiles and enjoyment it's not bad for 3 a.m. And it was okay. And you know, it's the kind of rubbish that you talk to people that you're not really allowed to get into. So anyway, medically, how are the team? Um, so the whole experience was was fine. And I, I suppose what I'm trying to, in, in painting little brush strokes, what I'm trying to get across is that they um, they seemed to be buzzing on an adrenaline of we played well. I, I think that's absolutely the case and if you you asked me about the flight home if you amalgamate what they said in the stadium and what they how they behaved in the flight home it was like there was no demoralization that that Ronaldo had got the 3-3 no demoralization that David De Gea had made a you know a clear error a really clear error and um, if I could sum up the atmosphere which is what I, I think you're getting at in terms of do they think that they took a bigger step than one point towards qualifying from the group? Then the answer is yes. I think that's key. Before we started these podcasts, you had tipped up Spain as a potential winner. And looking at that game, that's what stood out. Ronaldo does his thing. You know, there's there's a kind of like a story behind each of those three goals that Spain can tell themselves to kind of make those goals okay for them in the long term. But just the way that, that Spain played for patches of, of, of that game were, uh, they must have been incredibly encouraging for Iero and for those players. Yeah, I, I do think so because, you know, if you want to draw further conclusions, nobody can really expect me to remember precisely what I've said in each podcast. And therefore, again, I disclaim knowledge of whether I've said there were moments in the training where, the, in training like there's been nobody who looks out of place, which is, for example, I've seen that before in um, 2014, where, you know, much as I, you know, I really absolutely adore Ica Casillas as somebody who's influenced my life, my career, but also as somebody with whom I still talk privately. But in 2014, with each training session, you could see that 
he should have been dropped. I've never seen an elite player perform like that in training and keep his place, ever. And therefore, that might be a stark comparison, but nonetheless, if, if, if I try to represent what I've seen in training so far here in Krasnodar, there's been absolutely nothing close to that whatsoever. But the drop-off of, you know, the tungsten tough um, and, and, and cutting-edge sharpness, you need to win the Europa League for Atleti or you know, win the FA Cup for Chelsea or uh, win the league and, and so on for Barca, win the European Cup for Real Madrid. There are others I could name. That, that level of readiness and sharpness takes a natural drop-off once you give players a pause. You want to give them a pause because you're asking them to dig deep again in terms of their mental and physical preparation for the World Cup that lies ahead. But you're, you're sort of calibrating at a risk of the, the minor drop-off of, of, of match readiness. And therefore, in, we saw it in the friendly that we talked about um, at the Madrigal against uh, Switzerland and then in Krasnodar against Tunisia. You saw just not quite at it. And in training, for example... The point I'm trying to make at length is that Isco's been fine, but let me tell you in training, he didn't look like he did against Portugal. And maybe even if you take um, the industry of Koke, even if you take um, the greater sharpness and, I, I thought, c- c- game control by Iniesta and Busquets in the period when Spain were losing 1-0 to the period where just before Cristiano scored his second goal, it, it looks like Spain are significantly ahead. It might not be that Busquets and Iniesta stand out as, as men of the match for Spain, but in that period when they needed to turn things back around, I thought that they did. Um, and Silva's sharpness, um, Alba's sharpness, we could go through several of them and, and give them plaudits. But it's, it's clear that Isco's rhythm and Isco's sort of ability to go past people, um, his, his dictation of match tempo, his chance creation, that beautiful thumping shot off the bar. All these st- stood out as being a level above what, where he'd been training. And, and who doesn't... I mean, we can now talk about any club side that we, you know, each of us individually love or, or a national side that we like watching. And, and the big players, you know, when the, when the gong rings, the big players come up for dinner and... and that's, that's what I thought Isco did. But there was another candidate. I, I, I genuinely thought that if you take Nacho's uh, unfortunate moment with Ronaldo where the penalty is conceded, where, you know, I'm still not 100% convinced. I thought his game was, was very, very good. I thought that his ability to link up um, with midfield, to give them an out ball, his ability to go past players, his aggression on the ball, his pace, and, and his mentality too, given that, you know, we have to point out that at a club level, he's a guy who's, who's got to consider himself player number 12 or player number 13. And, and to be like that for your club, and albeit that you play a lot, you win a lot, to, to be player 12 or 13 and to be ready for your international team, um, to me is a standout. And maybe because of the Salah incident, not everybody remembers this little sort of seesaw game that's going on and that when Carvajal breaks down and is sobbing on the turf in Kiev, you know, it's Nacho needs to come on and have a game and help um, Real Madrid win. 
and now it's natural, as it was um, in Sochi the other day, kind of looking over his shoulder at his teammate, Danny Carvajal, who, who as he was coming onto the pitch the other day, you know, a couple of days ago, let's call it maybe the, the last training session in Krasnodar before flying to Sochi, because it's hot, he lifts up his shirt as he walks onto the training pitch to sort of wipe his face of um, sweat or whatever. And, and, you know, he's built like, you know, the, the, the greatest sort of light middleweight boxer that you could imagine. He's absolutely ripped around his, you know, his abdomen, looking, you know, with the exception of having to build back his, his sharpness after a few weeks out, he's looking just absolutely ready to roll. Nacho has to take that into context. Imagine before the game against Portugal that you know his his tendency at right back is going to be very short, and and immediately that he concedes that penalty, he must be thinking, "Flip and heck, that's that's you know that that's all the the boss needs to put Danny Carvajal in against Iran." And there, and then he goes out and doesn't only score that fabulous goal. And I, I, I'm certain I used the comment that when we were filming the green screen, I said, "Listen." You, as well as doing the step forward that you see on the TV or the, in the giant screens, um, do a little funky, funny celebration because um, that will get used by our, our boss, our TV bosses. He's like, nah, 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 I'm not doing that. I don't score. Well, there you go. So that's why, Neil, I'm, I'm picking on Nacho for praise above and beyond the, the beauty of that goal. Yeah, let's stay with him. I mean, you got all your calls right in terms of Yero's first um, selection as... Spain manager, you thought he would go with Diego Costa up front. Um, you thought that was his man. It turned out to be the case. You said Coque, not Thiago in midfield. That's what happened. And you said Nacho, not Odrizola, even though Odrizola had started the last warm-up game against Tunisia in Krasnodar before the soap opera began. That doesn't happen. Does Nacho even start that game against Portugal? I, I don't know for sure. I, I'll tell you what I did see. This is what, you know, when, when you guys made me publish books or when we began podcasts, I often talk to people about why I came to Spain. I guess it possibly sounds stupid, but one of the things that made me want to come to Spain was that you get to go to training. So in training, um, even though I was very surprised that Nacho didn't start against Tunisia because that seemed 100% obvious to me in terms of what type of rival Portugal were going to be, the level of experience that Nacho's got, and the lack of experience that Audrey is all. A great kid, a flyer, and somebody who's clearly uh, got not just daring but technical ability. I just thought, well, it's clear that um, Nacho has to start. And then the two things that added up to me saying that to you was were, number one, the fact that when Nacho came on against Tunisia, he made you know a palpable difference in decision-making, pace of the ball being moved, um, sporting aggression, it, it was a standout. And secondly, um, there was a moment, actually on the day before Lopetegui sat, i.e. the day that the news comes out, there was a moment where he, and then it was interesting about Lopetegui, he was a guy, really was a guy for individual tuition. So in the training sessions we've seen here in Krasnodar, Lopetegui, I've seen taking Ramos aside and giving him a long set of instructions, I've seen him taking PK aside and doing that, and I saw him doing that to Nacho. And what it looked absolutely clear was him saying, this is what I want from you. Here are my um, requirements about position, about when you run, when you break, when you don't. 
and this is what I want you to do in terms of looking inside to you to your left to see where, for example, Ramos is or, you know, whether it's, let's say, uh, Koke is positionally, what your responsibilities are vis-a-vis the people around you. So, to me, even though there was a change um, and Yero took over, it struck me that Nacho had to start. And what transpired subsequently, because I've spoken to uh, Nacho post twice post-game, was that he really enjoyed a uh, single year that Yero was um, involved as an assistant coach at Real Madrid. And he, uh, you know, Nacho was born in Madrid, so he's a madrileño and he's a madridista. And for him, like it's just a fluke, but his very talented brother, younger brother, Alex, who I genuinely thought might be the one that made more, the more progress of the two, that, you know, there may be a sort of Gary Neville, Phil Neville thing going on here in that Phil Neville was always the one that, you know, Manchester United, uh, not just Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson said was the ta- more talented sportsman. And uh, while Phil Neville's career was terrific, Gary's was better and there was a level of edge, a level of desire that probably separated the two of them. Um, maybe that's the case between Nacho and Alex. I, I can't be 100% sure. But Alex is very, very talented and stood out as a junior Spain player. And, and the two of them made the debuts on the same day for Real Madrid. But, you know, Nacho, uh, the reason I bring Alex up is that he gave an interview uh, several months ago saying, you know, I think that my brother is talented enough to go on and, and mark an era in the way that uh, Sanchez did, the way that Yero did at Real Madrid. Now, these are big names to be banding around. And um, in some instances, they'd be injudicious names to be banding around. Yeah, although Nacho is not um, a starter player like Sanchez and Yero were throughout their careers, he's got three uh, Champions League medals. Um, he is, I, th- I think he's a fabulous footballer. You know, I'd instantly reach for him. If, if I had a transfer budget and I was in charge of another team, I would instantly say, yeah, I'm, I'm having him. I'm having him now. And he's in my starting eleven. So um, it all bundled together quite nicely from a storytelling point of view because he's been, um, Nacho has been a, a guy who's tried to take advantage of his disadvantage in that at 12, already a, a Real Madrid starlet, he was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes and told by a doctor, it, instantly the diagnosis came through, that um, he would have to give up football. And he called that um, the worst weekend of his life because uh, it had seemed to them, number one, there had been the usual causes that made um, the family examine what was wrong. And to be to then be immediately told, you've got to go up football, was, was devastating for a 12-year-old with talent. And what his father and, and mother did for him, his mother had always driven him you know, quite a distance to training as a kid putting a lot of effort and his father is still his, his representative now so that's a beautiful story in terms of how a family can pull together to get the two kids the professional careers that they merit um, they just immediately said well second opinion and the second opinion was with a doctor that he stayed with since and um, you know Nacho explained to me that the, the difference was night and day because the second doctor only three days later said that's absolutely rubbish that's the opposite sport is now even more important to you, this once you have to l- learn to live with diabetes and learn how to balance your diet, 
the idea of being physically fit and using your talent is is still more central. And you must, it's, he, Nat just used the word to me like, and then the second doctor made it an obligation that he, he fulfilled his right. professional abilities. And therefore, without being too mawkish, from that weekend to this, which was scoring his first ever international goal in a situation where Spain were, you know, had been losing to the European champions and he scored the goal of the game. In fact, you know, so far, I still think it's goal of the tournament, um, so far, uh, was, you know, if you're a storyteller, those kind of ups and downs are marvellous to be able to explain to people. And I use the word um, turning his disadvantage to an advantage because he actively wants kids around the world who see him scoring a goal like that or see him scoring, pardon me, lifting the, the Champions League trophy to say, well, if I have diabetes or if I have a problem, a medical problem that's, that's of similar importance, I too can overcome it and I can, I can triumph. And he actively said, you know, I want to be an example for them. Therefore, the goal, you know, can be measured in importance to a greater degree than the impact it had on Spain-Portugal. When you look at his progression at, at Madrid, I mean, he, he really does make sort of baby steps season to season in terms of his game time and the impact he's having on the team. But there is something emblematic about having one of your own coming through the ranks and and staying there, even if it is as number 12, as you said. Has there been any point in that development where that didn't seem likely? Has there been any one of the carousel of Madrid managers who looked to loan him out or maybe transfer him out of the club? I don't think so. The the um, the idea that, for example, he can play at right back, left back, centre back, that he's a dyed in the wool supporter of the club, that um, he's come through the ranks from twelve to I, th- I think he's twenty seven now. Tells you that, um, and, and also I'd, I'd throw in the fact that, as I pointed out before, he's a really good footballer. He brings an attacking menace. Um, he's quick in terms of his discipline, in terms of his physical regimen. Um, he's what any manager would ask for, and therefore, no, that there's no but a point at which, in fact, it's been a, it's been a harmony thing. He's never wanted to go. If you look at how his, his numbers uh, grow, um, it's been testing to the fact that he's, um, as much as he, he would obviously choose to be a regular and may even think he's a better right back than Danny Carvajal, I don't know. Um, there's a level of satisfaction with where he's at. Um, they renewed his contract. It's now got, it's still got some years to run. I, I think we're talking about a very content man uh, who is obviously going to compete to be um, a quicker choice for managers than the multi-million pound players that they can sign. But I think he's fully, fully aware that it'll be a strange day when Madrid don't need somebody who can play four different positions. Um, and while his height means that he's not a natural centre-back, his fierceness, his competitiveness, his pace into the tackle, his tackling ability are, are the type of things that are invaluable for a club. And you're right, I accept your point that Madrid don't necessarily put home bread first. But if you look at, you know, a guy that I so, I so often find constructively critical things to say about Florentino Perez, it's also true that over the last few years, 
he has wanted to have more Spaniards in his team, first of all, and then more... Uh, La Fabrica is what, you know, the equivalent of La Masia, homebred players. I don't know if you can count Asensio, but the idea of, idea of buying him first before um, Barcelona and then loaning him out and taking him back. Uh, Lucas, um, another guy brought through the ranks, loaned out, taken back. Casemiro, bought quite young, loaned out to Lopetegui at Porto uh, and brought back. Um, we can say the same of um, one or two players, including Carvajal, who went to the Bundesliga. Nacho fits in that profile, Neil, of guys that they're like, either you can identify their progress at Madrid or they've been there for a long time. And therefore, he fits in the current era too. And I think that, well, I don't think. I can tell you that while Zidane's been in charge and while Rumadid have been conquering Europe and while they've been largely until um, this season running Barca close or, 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 or defeating them in the league the season before, I've really enjoyed the profile of their football, the profile of their people. And, and in meeting them and talking to them, I, I like all these individuals. You know, it is a fact, certainly from my point of view, that... Lucas, for example, and Isco, and certainly uh, Nacho, are, are really decent people to be around, fun to talk to, um, friendly, respectful, and, and in no way uh, behaving like superstar, multimillionaire, um, multiple Champions League winning footballers. OK, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, more Spain, a little bit of Portugal, and some Atleti. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. First of all, Graham, we've seen uh, Portugal 3, Spain 3 through a Spanish prism. Did you see any of Portugal after the game, in particular Mr. Cristiano Ronaldo? Did you get a sense at all of the reaction and the mood from, from them after that draw in the first match? Well, first of all, I want to know how you managed to get into a Spanish prison before I did, because the odds on that are very, very long. Um, it was, I thought, this is something that I don't want... Um, 
too much publicity for, so people, please don't tweet this. But I saw more than I actually wanted to of Cristiano Ronaldo because by nature our uh, <clears throat> work is backstage. I often use the word backstage because I grew up uh, watching my dad managing, uh, business managing Scotland the Watt, and therefore I spent a lot of time in theatres and backstage in theatres. And therefore the tunnels around um, a stadium, uh, I think, merit that description to me. And as we were leaving, it just so happened uh, to, to get on the convoy to go with the Spain players to the airport. We were happened to be walking past the Portugal dressing room. And um, the kit man of Portugal barged out carrying a big box um, because they are the, the worker ants of post-match. The, any of the multiple kit men are working their butts off. In, in any situation, any club or international thing about get the kit together, make sure it's all there, make sure it's on the team bus. Don't be the ones that are holding the players up. So he barges out of the um, dressing room and leaves the door open just by fluke as we're walking by. And I'm not going to go into any more detail other than um, I, I definitely saw far more than I wanted to. OK, let's move on. Let's talk Diego Costa. Uh, I don't know how much of Diego you saw, but it looked like that was his biggest night in a Spain shirt so far. Fair? Not only are you right, it, it's it's by it, by a, a huge distance his most important. Um, I, I think he scored. I mean, listen, pull me down if I'm wrong, but I think he might have scored nine in nine starts, the last nine starts now for Spain. And I think that, um, irrespective of the fact that um, when Spain played the World Champions as a warm up game, Rodrigo started and scored. I think Diego Costa has has begun to believe in himself as a Spain player, has begun to feel a, a lot more comfortable. I think that under Lopetegui, and then still more so in the, in the single game under Yero, players around him have begun to find, find a way to play the combination possession football that Iniesta and Silva, who had a, who had a super game, I thought, and, and Jordi Alba and Busquets like, but still um, be able to, to service Diego Costa in the way that he wants, which is the Atleti way, where the ball is given to him much more quickly in situations where there's a percentage idea that the, the defenders may be caught out. So, for example, and, and because I um, didn't have replay facilities at the game and watched it like a fan would watch and hadn't have not to this day, seen the game back on TV, it was you that needed to um, emphasise to me that it was Busquets' long ball to to uh, Diego Costa for him to to pull the central defenders of Portugal around in a way that he can only do when he's when he's confident and physically fit. So I think that the, the second goal, you know, I'm wary of going overboard about Diego Costa because I think the second goal was the kind of goal, I don't mean the finish because it's on a plate for him, but it's the kind of goal whereby as long as you make the right run, the, the cleverness is in the, the use of the free kick, the, bas- the back post header. And at that point, anybody who's there can score it. It happens to be Costa. But he did other things, I think, whereby um, it showed a level of, of self-belief and confidence that bode well uh, for Spain, particularly if the service is... Is kind of, I, I don't know, there's a word in English that I'm struggling for because I've been spending the last um, couple of weeks speaking in Spanish. But it's, it's like um, they've 
found a way to do two things at once, uh, and that it's, there's a sort of alternating gear between hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, give it now. Whereas in the times when that decision about give it now was belonged to, say, Chavi or Sesk even, there was a Barca element to the release of the ball, which was only at the right time, not when the striker wants it. There's a lot more now of give it to Costa when he wants it. Now, um, I thought that, I still think that Iago Aspas um, in training and, and when he came on gave inklings. Like, for example, there was a, okay, it wasn't a, a, a fierce shot, but Aspas got a shot on target, which I think stemmed off a 26-pass move in, in that last chunk of the game, when admittedly Portugal equalised. And I think there was another stage in the match where Barca kept the ball for about two minutes. Pardon me, that was a that was a definite um, Freudian slip. Spain kept the ball for for two minutes, which you know I, I continue to think is is pretty remarkable at international level. I continue to think that it will cost a lot of teams that running around and then tiring in the late stages of games that can be to Spain's uh, huge benefit. And I continue to think that when you look at this team as being without Xabi Alonso, without Cesc without Xavi Hernandez, and with Iniesta at a different stage of his career, an extended stage of his career. That's, that's a remarkable thing to be able to do in that humidity. Um, so Costa interests me a lot. And indeed, when training comes on, I, there's no point in mucking about we're recording this pre-Spain training um, on Sunday afternoon. So as much as we get of training, Costa will be in my um, crosshairs to see what is his mood? What is his movement? Um, is the is the the galvanising effect of having scored twice um, with his first two shots on target in a World Cup, which tells you about <laughs> his Brazil experience? You know, how has that helped him? How has that helped people around him trust him? Um, Coquet the other day was saying, look, um, I've adapted well between the the style of Diego Simeone and the style of Spain, but so has Costa. And his words were proven true. Okay, I hope we have enough time for one more subject of conversation. We do. Good. And I don't know how much of a LeVon James fan you are, but do you remember King James trailing his decision to leave Cleveland? I remember him hiding up the tree to get away from the roundheads, if I'm not mistaken. Different King James. Similar dilemma. Um, He was split between uh, two teams as well, but ended up joining Miami in a sort of drawn-out reality TV spectacle that was known as The Decision. While you've been away, Antoine Griezmann did his own version, imaginatively called La Decision, as he decided between, well, how strong were the smoke signals saying that he was going to be a Barcelona player next season, at the, at the, at the height of that news story? One of the things I've tried to transmit in all the work we've done, whether written or recorded, is that both in terms of what we call the Madrid media and the Barca media, you have to use, um, not a lie detector, but you have to use a sort of water diviner to see whether what you're getting is a trickle or a river. Um, Because a lot of them, not all of them, but the majority of them exist on briefings. And therefore, the briefings were ultra strong, that Griezmann had already decided to... um, join Barcelona, that the price would be a little over the 100 million uh, buyout clause, which 
he has as of July 1st. As, as we speak, it's 200 million, but it, it just drops by contractual agreement on July the 1st. Um, and therefore, had you come either new or naive to the situation, you would, and you were reading the Catalan paper, you would take it as an absolute fact that Griezmann had made an irrevocable decision to join Barca. And I think that um, Bartomeu, the, the Barca president, thought that that was true. It is, it is long established and a cause of discussion between the two clubs that Barca spoke to Griezmann's representative. And it turns out that, um, I know what you're angling at, is that one of the companies that, is, uh, that has Gerard Piqué as its, as its owner made that video film about Griezmann's decision. Now, that has um, resulted in heated stories about Barca are furious with PK and, and Gerard uh, confronted the situation on Friday night, wherever the night was the game, Friday night, and, and said, look, we, you know, Griezmann and I spoke about this a long time ago and said, once you make your decision, um, you, it's up to you what you do, but if, you wanna, if you're wanting to, con, you know, uh, to announce it in a particular way, then we'll make the film and uh, we'll provide you with the resources. Um, so it wasn't like PK was guiding him on his decision or uh, participating in, in humiliating the Barca board deliberately. He's just um, a guy who wants to be involved in multimedia projects, so for, uh, not multi-commercial projects. So, for example, his involvement with the Players' Tribune is, is gigantic um, and it occupies a lot of his time. He's in Barca time. He's, he's flown off. Um, to interview Neymar, to interview um, Gigi Buffon, both of which are interesting products with PK conducting the interviews. Um, above and beyond that, I knew for many, many months that he was speaking to Nadal and Djokovic and Andy Murray in particular and saying to them, well, do you feel properly rewarded by the Davis Cup? Do you think that you uh, get the treatment that you merit? And, and the large part of their response was no. So between them, and including uh, Mkhitaryan, the owner, his friend of um, some years, and the owner of Rakuten, um, being the, 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 the key investor, Gerard Piquet, has, has reshaped tennis and has got ATP approval to have what effectively, I think, from what I can understand, looks like it's going to be a World Cup of Tennis sort of thing. Now, I, it, it's my point of view, and it, it, it's I've never spoken to Jared about this, and certainly about the Griezmann video, um, but I have spoken to him about his, his need to remain engaged with... I think what I'm trying to say is that even playing at the elite level of football doesn't keep him totally engaged. He's a very restless, uh, both intellectual capacity and commercial capacity. And you can see that from his financial well-being, he's not doing this for for pure profit he's doing it because he has the capacity now he, he did admit the fact that Bartomeu phoned him um, to say well what the heck and he's, he explained it sufficiently to Bartomeu that um, this was a product of a new way of thinking that I am commercially and in multimedia terms involved in projects beyond my contract with Barcelona and I feel that that's, you know, that's entirely legitimate and on that point, I, I completely back him. And I think if there's heat in this situation, not Miami heat, I think there is a clear piece of evidence that Barcelona 
thought they had the deal sealed when it wasn't. I think there's a clear piece of evidence that Griezmann's um, relationship with Simeone, Griezmann's relationship with the Atleti concept, by which I mean the fans, the the board, the, the fellow players, uh, was much stronger than Bartomeu imagined. And I think that, as can often happen in football, there was too long between the point at which Barca thought they had a yes, I'm committed from Griezmann, and the point at which the July 1st clause dropped. And therefore, they couldn't get it over the line until then. And that time includes Fernando Torres leaving. That time includes um, Griezmann having a better idea about who's potentially joining um, Atleti, i.e. Lamar. That, that time includes Griezmann scoring twice in the Europa League final and changing, again, his profile at the club, lifting a, a major trophy. All of these things influence the deal. And the fact that Gerard Piquet's company filmed it, you know, t- to me, it doesn't matter a flying fuck. And, and, you know, there's a lot of rubbish spoken in public about the players that we yearn to watch on TV, the players who make your career, my career, more interesting. And it doesn't mean that people that we like or admire are necessarily blameless all the time. That would be ridiculous. But in this instance, the nub of the story is Barca thought they had Griezmann. They didn't. They, they publicised it too loudly to the Catalan media and they've got egg on their chin. That's just, there you go. It's that simple. Is there another side to look at um, if we focus exclusively on the Atleti angle? Is this a change of gear here? Can you remember another time when they've had um, a player in demand at such an elite level and they've managed to say no? I mean, you mentioned Lamar's imminent arrival They've got the new stadium now, revenue-generating machine. Is this a statement of intent? Have they changed gears? Yeah, it's a patent a statement of intent in that by a long way he's going to be the most, um, or have the most lucrative contract of any Atleti player in history. And there's another clear factor um, needs to be brought into play. They host the Champions League final um, next June. Now... Given the way that they've played this season, you can see that they were on the cusp. They, they didn't have enough in the Champions League qualifying group. But once they went out, they, uh, they did what they've done repeatedly since, I think, 2010, which is win the Europa League. Now, I think um, that if they allow Griezmann to go, then other players begin to think, well... Is this the right place to be? Simeone begins begins to think, well, there are chances. There are many, many chances for me to go to the Premier League. Um, it, it, it was the case that Chelsea were trying very, very hard with him. Um, Inter will sooner or later say, this is the time. This is the same moment as the moment when Atleti said yes to you. And, and we now need you. So the Griezmann decision is, is, as you're hinting at, multi-layered. They, I think, legitimately want to aim at being in the Champions League final in their own stadium, although that's a poison chalice as Bayern Munich, for example, could tell you. Um, and I think that they understand that while Barca are, I think you can clearly argue that Barca are in a state of, if not upheaval, a state of flux. Luis Suarez is not scoring the same number of goals against quality opposition. Leo Messi is going to be coming back off the, you know, the umpteenth summer tournament of his recent career. There's no Xavi. Iniesta has left. 
it's legitimate to say that Barcelona are um, in need of really intelligent. They've reshaped their buying uh, department this this summer already, with the introduction of Eric Abidal uh, and the losing of Robert, their, their current director of football. Real Madrid have looked eminently powerful in Europe, but were hugely off the pace domestically. Um, Zidane has gone. There are, you know, there are again clear needs at Real Madrid and is it a guarantee that they're going to walk away with the domestic title or the Champions League again next season? No. So if you're the decision maker the socios or if Neil, if you're the decision maker at Atletico Madrid, Atletico Madrid then you know that the, the, the best thing you can do, so long as he's hungry, is keep your existing talent. If, if Griezmann is sated by the big new deal which knowing him um, watching him, listening to him, knowing people around him the answer to that is no. But once you've made that judgment, does, does Griezmann get a little bit lazy or complacent because of the new deal and because he stayed? If you say, well, no to that, then you keep him. You fight like a tiger to keep him. And you get all the positive ripple in the pond effect off the back of that, and that's what they've done. And I commend them. And personally, I'm delighted. Really, it keeps you know, the third force in Spanish football, much more interesting, much more competitive. It allows them to be a magnet for drawing other players, I'm sure. The debt situation is something that I'm not quite sure how they... Um, it, I, there's a test for them, and it may be that there are others need to be sold because of it. Um, but if they, if principally, if they keep um, Oblak, and now that they've kept Griezmann... The absolute fundamental is they're saying to their fans, to their fellow, to the the current squad, to the media, to the world, we're still competitive, we're still hungry, and we want to grow. And that's that's to me that's ultra positive. Okay, that's our show. Thank you, Graham. More soon, Spain take on group topping Iran on Wednesday evening in Kazan. In the meantime, here's a few ways for you to support the podcast. Number one, leave a review on iTunes. Number two, if you're the shaving kind, go to trygillette.com forward slash big interview and save four pounds on your blades. Number three, join our supporters trust. Become a socio. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Speaking of whom, until next time, thank you, sir. And dasvidaniya. Thanks for being there for us. Uh, This wouldn't have a worth without you. Some of you have been feeding back and saying that you've been enjoying it. Um, Support us. Join us, please. Keep us going. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.